Hey, good evening, church family. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the pastors here at the table, and we are absolutely juiced that you are here with us, that you're here with me in uh, the luxury grounds of, of my garage. It's pretty, not too bad, huh? Little pastor boy, he's done all right, huh? Got an aluminum ladder to my, behind me, and, and um, some other gardening items. We don't have a garden. It's oh, a tough start to a message. Carry on, Matt, focus. The reason why I'm not in the sanctuary next to Debbie right now is because, well, you guys probably haven't noticed this, and so let me let me just let me bring you up to speed. There was an election this week. Uh, yeah, it, it happened in our country, the United States of America, and we were trying to determine who would be the new leader of uh, said country. And um, usually, when elections happen, like we are all like collectively leaning in with bated breath, waiting to see the results roll in, and we're excited to see what's gonna happen next, but but Nevada wasn't as juiced, and they're taking their sweet time, along with other handful of states. Uh, so we don't have an answer to the election quite yet, which has kind of left us all with like, we're holding our breath. We don't know what's to come. We don't know what the implications are going to be. Um, but that's where we are. And I bring that up in the context of explaining why I'm not in the sanctuary, because one of the priorities that we have here at the table is that we're never trying to get the people in the proverbial town square to get their butts into the church pews. We're actually trying to have the church be where the people are. And right now, we are our people. We are in the midst of a moment. And we don't want to have some kind of abstract series that's going to pull us away from that. Because the spirit, if you will, is stirring in this moment. And so it is Friday, no, excuse me, it is Saturday morning right now uh, when I'm filming this. Uh, I've waited long enough. I'm gonna be getting on a plane tomorrow. And so I wanted to pass along a message to y'all uh, that I, I'm hoping is gonna be encouraging for the moment we are in. Because here's one of the things that I've noticed about Christians. Here's one of the things that I've noticed about myself. Here's one of the things that I'm seeing on social media. When Christians get into these stretches of space, like the one we're in right now, where, um, I mean, if I do a self-audit, and I'm just going to be honest about it, I'm angry. Like, I'm tweeting things at Mike Pence and and Rudy Giuliani that I, I typically don't tweet, but that's just, that's where I'm at right now. I'll delete those tweets before you guys get the chance to read them and leave the church. But I'm angry, I'm anxious, I am... Um, impatient right now i'm feeling like even you know whatever i'm just feeling like what's what's the solution what's the clear path forward how are we going to get better i'm struggling to communicate with people on the other line not because i'm not willing but because like there's just such a wide gap um and so what happens though the temptation for people like me and people like our tradition is that when our frustration kind of reaches a fever pitch what we do is we plug our ears and we close our eyes and we start thinking about the world to come because we just can't stand the world that already came we start turning our faith into um, like this litmus test, like we're trying to, to pass certain standards that we can get into the certain room on the other side of life, it, which ultimately it just turns faith into treating Jesus as if he is some particular password that we need to memorize so that we can get through the door on the other side, as opposed to seeing that Jesus is a very real presence that is waiting for us in this life. Yes, this life. This life 
in, in this moment, this life in this open wound that is starting to fester, this life in the anxiety, in the pain, in the anger, Jesus is here now. And if you won't be, you'll have no idea what it is that he's trying to say. You don't believe me. I can see it in your eyes. You're like, Matt, you're angry. How could I believe you? Well, let me try to lay out some scripture here that, that, that um, you know, further takes my point. What? Roots my point? Just stay with me. If you go back to the start, if you go back to the very beginning, which I think we collectively would agree that uh, that's a very good place to start. You have in this creation narrative where nothing suddenly becomes everything, where we are introduced to these two nudists that we know very little bit about, except for the fact that we know they don't have belly buttons and that they were living under the prohibition where they could not take the Granny Smiths from that one particular tree. It's like maybe it's because I'm a second child, but like if you tell me that I can do whatever I want, except I can't take from that tree, I'm for sure going to take from that tree. There's no way I'm not going to take from that tree. And they end up doing that as firstborns too, which is pretty amazing. They take from this tree and the consequence that's laid out in, in the poetry of Genesis is that it says that that moment from when they disobeyed that particular rule, death came in through the doorway, which is mildly confusing because neither of them actually die. There is still a pulse very present in their bodies. In fact, if you think about it, they actually end up going, they live for like 500 plus years. So uh, death came to the door. I don't know exactly the metaphor at play here, but, but, but what it does also say as like the wingmate to death, it wasn't just death that crept in through the doorway. There also were thorns. The scripture says that there will be thorns, which matters to all of us, but especially if you are nudist. But if you think about the context of literary form, and if you think about the metaphors that are embedded within this form, you recognize that when the scripture says that as a part of this curse is that death will come in and that thorns will be by its side, it is not asking you to keep your eyes out for a particular brand of botany. It is trying to say, keep your eyes open to see the fullest nature of reality. There will be thorns. When you leave this paradise, when, when the garden comes to an end, the very nature of reality that you will run into in the real world will cut you up with a broken heart and bloody knuckles. Now, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of roses to be sure, but as, you know, the great theologian Axel Rose once told us, every rose has its thorns. You can reach for those roses and you should keep reaching for those roses, but every rose has its thorns. There will be thorns in the world. And then if you follow the story as it spirals from that space, that does check out. There are the roses and there are the thorns. Adam and Eve, they make beautiful babies, the joy of childbirth and becoming parents. Rose, two of their kids get in a beef. One kid kills the other kid because he's jealous of the church service that he was able to pull off. Thorns. And then from there, if you follow much further, you'll recognize that it continues to spiral out of control. Yes, there are the beauties of the roses, but there also are the people being pricked by the thorns. And things get so crooked and so corrupt so quickly that at some point, the stench of how, how messed up it all is, it reaches the nostrils of the divine. And God looks down at it and says, like, you guys need a shower. Here's a flood. Let's click. Uh, let's pull the plug on the back of the machine. Let's blow in the Nintendo disc and try this whole thing all over. 
And so you have this flood, but in this flood, there is still a family that manages to flee. God spares one particular family, the new Adam and Eve, if you will, that are finally going to provide a fix, finally going to set this thing right. And, and that's a lovely idea in and of itself, but things don't get set right. They survive the flood. They have babies. They have babies. But immediately when they get off the boat, they run into the thorns. At some point, God calls a new kind of people to come through those people, Adam, or excuse me, Abraham and Sarah, the Hebrews, the chosen people. But, and that's like, again, let's, let's pause. Rose, God, God calls forward two new people to start a new tribe in a land that they did not know. Beautiful story. Rose, but the chosen people end up seeing their children and the children of their children go from chosen to in chains, thorns. The children of Israel are taken away into captivity. They're, they're, they're put into bondage for hundreds of years in the empire of Egypt where they are treated less than a personal pet. They have been stripped completely of their personhood. They do not have much going on for them, and yet they still held on. Just like all of us, we are still holding on. I don't know, like, I mean, I, well, I do know some of your stories, and, and I know that, okay, I'll, I'll say this. We did a midweek check-in the other night on Wednesday night. We had about 20 people show up for it, but in that 20 people, I'd say 80% of those people who are coming into that space to uh, be be like with others because they're feeling the weight of this week, 80% of the people were part of our beloved queer community. People who have felt like what it's like to be seen as less than. People whose lives are, 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 are going to be impacted by the political results. They don't have the luxury of living apolitical as if that was benign. They don't have the luxury of treating the election as if it's a Vikings and Packers game. They know what it's like to have real-life consequences for real-life decisions. They don't have the luxury to close their eyes and plug their ears and think about a world to come because daily they are confronted with the world that is, and yet still they keep showing up. You want to look for bravery? You don't have to dial up something on Netflix. Look at your neighbor in the pew, the people who have been picking up wounds that was never theirs to carry and yet they're still carrying forward. They're still holding on. They're still finding a way not just to get out of bed, but finding a way to continue to lift their head because they know that they are beloved by their creator and their community, and so they will live to see another day. They're gonna keep fighting for a better world. Follow their lead, church. They're hearing things that you can't hear because they are closer to the thorn bush. They know the sharp edges of life. And the story is interesting when you look at the Israelites and Egyptians, when you look at like just the Israelites in and of themselves for centuries of dehumanization and being treated as less than, they continue to hold out hope, trusting that at some point how it is right now is not how it will always be. And eventually the scene starts to shift. God hears the cries of those who are caught in this thorn bush and he sends somebody to go and get them out. He sends a man named Moses. Moses was this Hebrew who grew up as a prince of Egypt until he grew up a little bit further and recognized, I'm not what I appear to be. I am like them, the slaves, the mistreated ones. Now, Moses has this one moment where he's got like this young uh, zealotry. You know, like when you're young and you're fully convinced of like you're, it's all black and white and you're fired up. I love that. I remember yelling at my mom once because of an item she purchased when I just came to the face. Like, how dare you? How dare you, mom? But now I got, I'm the one with the aluminum ladder. 
aluminum ladder. Anyways, there's this moment where Moses is that way, and he's out in, in the desert of Egypt, and he sees an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew man, and he dials up this righteous anger, and he finds like his inner John Brown, and he kills the man, buries him in the sand. But you can bury that man, but people still see. And so the Hebrew that he was sparing of his life, he saw. Word traveled fast. Moses recognizes, like, if I don't get out of Dodge, they're going to take me out. So I'm going to book it. I'm going to run for the hills and, and try to make what's left of life out there. He does that. He goes out. He meets a girl named Zipporah. They get married. They have a baby named Gershom. And at this point, like amidst all of the roses and thorns that he has run into in the past, he is now out in the in the woods on the hillside of the, away from Egypt. And he's going, I got a nice little rose right here. I got a baby boy. I got the, the love of my life. I have a gig with her dad. Um, you know, I could take this rose and make a retirement out of it. I could rest easily for the rest of my days. Now that I have arrived, I am finally thorn free. That is not, though, how it works. In fact, if, if I was going to start this series tonight, the series I wish somebody would have told me, um, I think I wish somebody would have told me that that's not how it works. Like there is no pay raise, there is no promotion, there is no partner, there is no, there, you're not one or two pieces away from a dethroned life. The sharp edges continue even when you arrive where you never thought you could. The hardships still are there. Man, I've told some of you guys this story uh, before, but it was really a shocking one for me. And part of even like, I guess why I wish somebody would have told me this. There was a moment after one of uh, um, the chapels before a Timberwolves game this past year where I had a Boston Celtics player kind of lingering around afterwards. And he goes, man, can I have a word real quick? And I said, absolutely, let's talk. And he said, you know, I am... Uh, um, I'm a professional basketball player, and I'm one of the better players on this team. And I say that because I got really good at something that hasn't been really good for me. I don't really love basketball that much. I'm caught up in the thick of thin things often. What do I do? I thought that when I got this contract and I got to this career, I would be thorn free. But every rose has its thorns. What do I do now? How do I find a rose that is free of thorns? And the, the, the horrible news that is the only truth is that you won't. There are no roses free of thorns. Moses here finds out that there are no roses free of thorns. On one particular day, he is out in the sticks tending to his father-in-law's flock when he notices that there is a bush that is on fire, a bush that is burning up but will not be broken down. And he gets a little closer and he recognizes that this bush isn't just on fire. It is starting to speak. Now, before I tell you what, what, what the bush proceeds to say, I need to tell you that the Hebrew word for bush here is sene. The Hebrew word for bush, it, it, is, it is talking about a particular breed of bushes. <laughs> I don't know if bushes are breeds. It's talking about a particular kind of bush, the sene bush. The sene bush, that's a thorn bush. It's got curvy thorns that you can stick your hand inside of and feel like you're fine, but you start moving that thing around, you're going to have a bloody hand. It's a thorn bush. From this thorn bush, the, he, Moses hears a voice start to speak. 
from these flames, from the thorn bush, Moses is told by the voice of God to go and be about the life of liberation. Go take on the work that your people are itching for you to take on. Go and live faithfully to this call of love. Don't miss this, you guys. Don't miss this when we think about trying to run away from everything that's got a prickly end, from every person that causes us pain, frustration, anger, every um, internal wound that leaves us terrified. And so we shield it by trying to leave others you know, impressed or whatever the thing may be. Don't miss the fact that Moses is commissioned by God and that commission comes through the mouth of the curse. It comes through the mouth of the thorn bush. And then it gets better. So we know how the story plays out in the next few scenes where Moses, he, he kind of stutters and he stumbles and he's like, okay, I'll go. And he takes his brother with him, which by the way, the Bible's beautiful. The Bible starts out with the stories of a brother who kills his brother. Now you have two brothers at the start of the next book who are working together to save others. That's a beautiful trajectory that we are on here. Full of thorns though still. These two go into Egypt. They, they demand Pharaoh to, they say, let my people go. And uh, Pharaoh's like, nah, we're good, man. Like, this is actually working out just fine to us. Their, their experience of the thorn, for us, that's a rose that we are embracing. It's not a problem for us. No, they're not going to go. That tune starts to change 10 plagues later. 10 plagues later, and Moses is splitting seas. He's leading the million plus across this said sea. And, and he's watching in their wake the soldiers of the empire being swept up. Now, we usually stop the story at that point and go like, hooray, God. And like we talk about like, what is your sea that you want God to split today? You want that car payment? We don't, par- we don't actually talk like that. But like you can see how like you have these massive liberation stories and we make them so small with our petty stuff. But if we take it to the next scene after, it is fascinating to me that Moses leads people across the split sea. And when they get to the other side, he continues to lead them to the holy mountain known as Mount Sinai. Sinai, 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 Sinai. That's not an accident. In fact, many scholars would say that the, the word, the term, the name for this mountain, it is derived from the name of that bush. Sinai comes from Sinai. And the reason why the mountain is named Mount Sinai is because we believe that on all of its sides were littered with the Sinai bush. So here what the story is trying to say. You have Moses who ran away from the thorns of life to try to grab onto a rose only to find that inside of the rose there was more sharp edges. He ends up leading these people and he moves them all the way from captivity into liberation onto this mountain. He's getting older in his years. Lord knows he's exhausted from that work of liberation. But now he is being told, he is being called, he's being invited to God. If you want to come into the heart of life, the heart of love, if you want intimacy with the divine, if you want the life to the full, as Jesus promised it, then I'm going to need you to climb up on this mountain. And to get from the bottom to the tip of the top, you're going to need to crawl through Sinai bushes. Moses has to crawl through the Sinai bushes, the same kind of bush that he first was spoken to before the liberation began. And then he gets to the top and he's got undoubtedly bloody knees, uh, a dirty face. He's got holes all over his clothes. But there God says, I want to tell you now who you are as a person 
and what my hope is for you as a people. I want to give you some uh, framework for how to do life, which if we are honest, that is what we are all craving, especially right now. I am, you know, I'm fatigued by the, the ambiguity of this week. Like I'm fatigued by the uncertainty of it all. But, but the season as a whole, you guys, when we canceled church seven months ago, we thought it'd be like a month-long thing, max. Seven months ago, we still aren't gathering as a church. Seven months ago, we didn't know that this thing would be going into 2021. That sounded like foolish to think about it. But now, I'm hoping that it's just 2021. We just don't know. Like, I, and, and the day in, day out, like how to do this, how to parent, how to figure out school for our kids, how to figure out like um, safety in our relationships. All of it is pressing and we just don't know. And so we are all craving that divine revelation that Moses received on Mount Sinai after crawling through the Sinai bushes and he hears, this is how I want you to do life. What if the reason why we are so held captive to our own ambiguity and the anxieties that it brings with, because we have sought after the soft and cushy parts of life and sidestep the Sine bush? What if we just haven't been willing to climb to the top of the mountain? What if we fall for the lie that God won't meet us at the top of that mountain? So let's just make our lives about meeting God in some other life. If you fast forward from that particular mountain to another mountain a thousand or so years later, on a hill far away, God shows up again. This time, God is not showing up as a, a voice that speaks through fire on a Sine bush or in a Sine bush, nor is God showing up as like a mystical light or cloud or um, pillar. That's not, that's not what God is doing here. Here we have God on this particular mountain 1,000 years later showing up in the body of a young man who is bloodied up and waiting to die. Here we have the king of the universe who is being left to die as a common crook, abandoned by all of his friends as the life is leaking out of his body. But before the king goes down, he is first given a crown. It wasn't a Gucci crown, wasn't a gold crown, had no shine attached to it whatsoever. It was a Sine crown. It was the crown of thorns. Jesus dies wearing this crown of thorns. He dies with Sinai in the Sinai piercing into his skull and into his forehead. And, and it's as if to make the punctuation as clear as possible is that I am the Lord of the land of the thorns. Jesus is wearing this crown of thorns and he does it with a pride in his face as if to say, and don't you forget it. I am not a password to get you into some place on the other side. I am not a Lord who lives in some faraway luxury castle. I am the Lord of the thorns. And if you want life, and if you want life to the full, you're going to have to climb through Sine bushes. You're going to have to be willing to have your heart broken and your knees bloodied up and keep on going because I will meet you in the middle where I tell you again and again that you are loved as you are where you are you're enough i'm the lord of the land of the thorns and if you want life and life to the full you got to stop being so afraid you got to have the courage to go to the place you don't want to go you got to have the conviction to abide in the places that you try to avoid 
the courage to remain in those relationships that you don't know what to do with anymore. You're going to need to climb up a mountain that is filled with sine bushes, trusting that when you get to the top, I'll be there. And I will tell you again who you are, and I will tell you again whose you are, and we will make a life together. Church, do you want that? You don't need me to tell you this, because I think we talk about this a lot as is, but there's a lot of thorn bush out there. There's a lot of people who are being cut up. And particular for people of privilege, there is this facade that we can sidestep all of that and still be faithful to Jesus. But Jesus is the Lord of the land of the thorns. And if we want to be faithful to the Christ, we got to get close to the pain. Both the pain that's out there and also the pain that's in here. We got to take on this fight with the Christ and cut down the thorn bushes that are cutting down our people, that are cutting down our country, that are cutting down our relationships. I think that Jesus consistently is inviting us to cut down the thorns in our neighborhoods, in our politics, in our religion, in our relationships, in our community, and, and in ourselves. I think Jesus is teaching us that I am the Lord of the land of the thorns and I need my people to be in the land of the thorns with me. So are we willing to take on that fight to not pacify ourselves with language that belittles the realities of where we are right now, but that enters in incarnationally recognizing that how it is right now is not how it will be because I'm committed to cutting down the thorns. I've told you this quote and I'll close right here. This is one of my favorite quotes. It comes from South African activist and theologian, Dr. Alan Bosak, who puts it this way. You know, at the end of our days, when we do get to the holy mountain on the other side of life, uh, we'll walk into the presence of God, and the first question God's going to ask is, where are your wounds? And we'll size up our bodies, and we'll look left and right, and we'll go like, I don't have any wounds. And God will lean in and say, was there nothing worth fighting for? Were there no thorn bushes around you that I wanted you to cut down? May we have the courage to enter into the world to come with bloodied up knees because we found things worth fighting for, because we gave ourselves to cutting down the thorn bushes. You are loved as you are. We'll see you next week.